This is The Journey's Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Stolo. Today I'm talking with J. Paul Nadeau. Paul is a former hostage negotiator, special victims unit detective, and international peacekeeper. Paul spent more than 30 years working with victims of crime and their perpetrators. Paul has helped countless victims deal with self-sabotage and how to reclaim control of their lives. Paul wants to help people check out of the poor me hotel that can dominate our judgmental and unhelpful thinking patterns and discover the freedom to choose a new path in life. Your history and your past is something absolutely incredible because you've lived what it feels like many lifetimes and the lifetimes that you've led are just incredibly curiosity making, I would say. Being a hostage negotiator Maybe we can start there because it also is a an appropriate lead into our conversation today about self-sabotaging thoughts. What was it like being a hostage negotiator? Thanks, Mark. Uh, it it was interesting. It was challenging, but it was also exciting at the same time. I was working in the sexual assault and child abuse division as an investigator and had a real good way of communicating with victims of crime and even with suspects and had a knack for getting people to kind of cooperate. Uh, and, you know, there, there are components that need to be aligned for someone to really open to you. They need to know you, like you, and trust you. It's that way in life and in business. And this notification came across advertising for an open slot for a hostage negotiator. And of course, I've watched the hostage negotiator movies before, and I thought, oh, that's cool. It's kind of sexy. And so uh, I thought, why not, Paul? This is something that, you know, that you could be good at and also that could help save lives. So I, I put the application in, and through the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, I went to the police college in Ottawa, where they put me through a, a number of tests before determining whether or not I was a good fit. And once I passed the test, then I went into the training. Now, the job itself was, as I said, it was like, it was unpredictable. It, it's exciting. You have to put your, your thinking cap on the moment that you get a call. Because unlike, say, an appointment, a business appointment, you don't know what's coming up. If you and I were in business together and you said, hey, Paul, let's get together next week. I want to talk about this, that. I've got time to prepare. But with a hostage or crisis incident, you don't have the time to prepare. It's like you and I will get a phone call at 2.30 in the morning saying there's a hostage or a crisis situation. We need you there now. And the way that we dealt with those things is that we always practiced. Like on our, when we weren't on active calls, two or three times a month, we would get together for a full day and we would run through as many scenarios as possible. And one of the things that uh, every hostage negotiator has to be aware of is that oftentimes on the other end of the line, there is a person, a hostage taker, who is in crisis himself or herself because they didn't plan on taking a hostage that day, but circumstances were such that they did. So establishing communication in the very begin, a beginning can be very difficult because if you're under absolute stress. The only thing that you can hear is the beating of your heart. You can't hear the voice of, of a hostage or a, or a crisis negotiator trying to reach out to you for the first few moments. You're going to hear only parts of that conversation. So it was a matter of just being very patient 
and having that calming, how can I help you type of voice, and then taking it from there to see where the two of you could meet and agree on how it's going to all be resolved. It's an interesting transition going from working with others who are in a state of duress and trying to find the right words and actions that help create a peaceful resolution to a situation and transitioning into the world of coaching and helping people deal with their own duress, their own psychological and mental duress. Talk about what what inspired you to make that switch into the world of coaching and supporting others in, in, in a healing experience. After I retired from the police department, um, I thought I knew where I was going as far as my, my career path, because I was not just simply retiring. I was moving on just doing something else. And it was, uh, my original thought was to go into film and television acting because I'd been doing it towards the end of my police career. And I was starting to get a lot of work. And then an event in my life um, after my divorce, I had to kind of re-examine where I was going to go because things had changed. And so I started to write a book that was uh, was a little therapeutic for me, but it was a book, it's called Take Control of Your Life, which in which I put a lot of stories from my police experiences and from the victims that I had helped and from the people that I had helped. And the more I, I wrote the book, I thought, you know, there's there's more I could do here. Uh, there's more people I can help. You know, I, I that was something that I really wanted to do. I had an opportunity in 2015 to do a TED Talk. And after that, a couple of agencies, speaking bureaus picked me up. And I started to do uh, some talks for them, for uh, businesses and for schools and all that. And I thought, this is really good. People are getting a lot of information from this. So coaching just came naturally. How do I help other people? And opportunities like the one that I received with you and with Huddle uh, are, are the things that I just absolutely love to do because I can apply what I personally learned and what I learned from so many other people in, in the course of my 31 years as a police officer and a detective. And I can now use that to help other people on a one-to-one -one basis or in groups. And it's just amazing. You've shared with us through Huddle, Huddle Journeys, you talk about the self-sabotaging mind, uh, the mind that we feel turns on us, uh, makes us feel helpless, makes us feel out of control, talks to us in ways that are negative and derogatory. What provokes the mind to be in that state of um, you're not good enough, you'll never be great enough, you'll never get the things you want? Where does that negative inner voice come from? It comes for, for many people from different places. We were not born uh, to sabotage ourselves. We were born empty and meaningless, really. It wasn't until we started to have these different experiences that we started to attach different meanings to it. So if you experience a very happy life in a very stable home, the chances of getting those self-sabotaging thoughts are less in, in most cases than someone else who was brought up perhaps in a home that didn't support you as a child and the outside bullies and just the way that you interpret life, we all interpret it so differently. So these are learned behaviors. It's like somebody tells you at a young age, don't do this, don't do that, wait your turn, wait this. And then later on, you're told something completely different. You're, well, why aren't you asking for what you want? And so we all have these images in our mind that, that 
are in constant conflict. And that's, it, it depends on the nurturing and the nature around you. What were your personal experiences? And everybody experiences things differently. Just as they, the choices that we make are different uh, altogether from somebody else's choices. We make them, we're so unique individuals. So those are learned behaviors. I've been told I'm no good, that sticks with me. Some people cannot leave the past behind. Some people just have to revisit it because they were so traumatized and so hurt and they want to be loved, they want to be understood, but they can't leave it behind. And so they're more likely to have those, those self-sabotaging uh, thoughts and just not, not believe in themselves enough to know that they can turn the dial. So it comes from different places, Mark, but remarkably, um, because it's a, a learned behavior, the good news is that we can unlearn it and it can be done. And not just by telling ourselves great things, but by taking action as well. What I like in the journey, what you've done is almost expressed your uh, craft as a police officer and brought those tools to people in the journey because you're almost teaching people how to become their own better negotiators with their minds. What does it mean to be in a different relationship with your mind or to be negotiating with your mind differently where you don't feel like you're being bullied or pushed around by your mind and the negative chatter that's going on in your mind? I like that question, Mark. That's such a good question. All right, here it is. Uh, my experience as a hostage negotiator, when I saw that people were taken by force and that there was a physical hostage taker, I, I realized that the hostages had absolutely uh, nothing, nothing they could do about it. They were, they were being controlled. They could say nothing about it. They were at the total uh, mercy of the hostage takers. When I was dealing with victims of crime, on the other hand, who had experienced something that was devastating, that they felt that their power and control had been taken away from them, I realized that even though there were two sets of circumstances that were almost identical, we'll take a sexual assault, for example, one victim would look at those circumstances and say, that, that does not define me. That's, you know, that happened to me and it's not my fault. Whereas the other one would lock themselves in their room, would withdraw from society, and they had made a choice uh, or, or they, they had experienced something that was so traumatic that it put them into a cage of their own making. So when I started to compare those, those two things, thinking, you know what, we all have choices. And it's, it's sometimes just looking at something that's happened to you in the past and saying, yeah, that happened to me, but it also happened for me. I am not a result of these circumstances. I am not, I'm not defined by what happened to me. So those voices in your head, if they are not policed, and if you are not aware that you are doing this, this to yourself, which is true, it pops into everyone. Everyone has self-sabotaging thoughts at some point, but the ones who don't dwell on them are the ones that carry on with the happy life. Because I'll sometimes give my, my self-sabotaging uh, voices a name. I'll call it Bob. And as soon as Bob comes in to say, hey, Paul, you can't even try doing that because you ain't going to succeed. I'll turn and I'll say, hey, Bob, <laughs> not today. Dude, I got no room for you. Yeah, I, I don't want you around today. You're just not with me. So that, that shovel that I was digging the hole into, Bob comes in and says, keep digging, keep digging. And the thing is, Bob's got the same voice as me. 
That's kind of confusing. It's my voice, but it's not. Bob is lying to me. And I just have to be aware that his voice, that self-sabotaging voice has no place for me. I have the power to drop the shovel, to examine the circumstances, to switch uh, from continuing to dig that hole that, I, that I've been digging, the one of anxiety and depression, to, to say, no, I'm dropping the shovel. Bob, you're not here. Yeah, I think it's important that we become aware that the content of our thoughts are always rooted in the past. And so when we become beholden to those thoughts, it becomes impossible to create a different present and a different future because those are thoughts that have already happened. They're built on a past mainframe. And so what will frustrate people endlessly is the desire to create to want to create a new life, and yet they're build, trying to build that new life on an old paradigm or an old way of thinking or something that served them in the past but may not be serving them in the present. Is that, is that why it's one of the reasons why it's so critical to become more disassociated from the patterns of thinking that are no longer serving us well in the present? It is. And again, it comes back to personality, uh, I guess, awareness, uh, how strong you are. And it is, it, it's like studying something. If we don't know what it means or how to, how to use equipment, you, you, you get yourself a brand new recorder, you take a look at it, and you go, hey, this is pretty cool. Uh, now I don't know how to use it because I haven't read the manual or haven't gone onto YouTube. I don't know how to use it, so it's just going to be there. It's not going to be doing anything for me. Going into your past is the same thing. You've got to know how to handle that past. And, and you have to become aware that the past is the past. What happened five minutes ago happened five minutes ago. There's nothing I can do to change it. What happened 15 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, I can't change that. If it happened to me, in my instance, I was abused. I was physically abused and emotionally abused by a violent alcoholic father who didn't have the capacity to love me. And that was based on, on his demons and having been treated by his father in the same man manner, even worse than me. But he was never able to come to grips with it. Our responsibility is to go back and take a look at those events, but not stay there and say, okay, that happened to me. It also may have happened for me, but I'm leaving it there. It was not my fault. There's a great movie with... Um, Robin Williams and Matt Damon called Goodwill Hunting about a young genius who was physically abused by his foster father, a terrible thing. And he was never able to move forward. And he didn't, have, he couldn't sustain relationships. There was nothing that he could possibly do. He goes to see this wonderful uh, psychologist, Robin Williams, who really works with him. And there's, there's one beautiful scene that made me cry. And it's when the therapist is with his patient and he looks at him and he just says, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And it wasn't until then that Matt Damon's character realized that the things that happened to him were not his fault, that he could leave them behind. A lot of victims of crime blame themselves. I was dressed this way. I had a drink. I did this, I did that. They're putting so much stress and, and so much, they're filling their heads with so many wrong things. It's not your fault when bad things happen to you. 
And, you know, we just have to leave those things behind. They cannot control us. The most important moment I say in my journey, and I say it to, to people all the time, is the present moment that we're living in right now. This is the most important moment of my life. I get to share it with you, Mark. I get, I get to communicate, I get to share, we get to exchange. And when we live in the moment, we can certainly plan, but when we live in the moment, we get to choose how we feel. We get to police the thoughts that we have. We get to be creative. We get to say no to going back at, to the poor me hotel that I visited before too, but when I go to the poor me hotel, I don't stay. I just walk by, see if there's anybody in there that I know, might wave at them, say, are you coming out? You know, and that kind of thing. Uh, and I, as I'm walking away, they're just trying to, you know, come on back, come on back. And it is a choice. It really is a choice. So yeah, your past has a lot to do with it, but we are in control of our own lives. We have to remember that we're the pilot of our own destinies. And even though the chapters of our book have already been written, we get to turn the page on a new uh, on a new chapter and we are the authors of that chapter we get to write how it turns out we get to choose how it turns out we get to choose the narrative that we want so that the life we want is there we get to choose to be happy we can't wait for external happiness that does external happiness though that's an illusion happiness comes from inside of us it's a choice to be happy and we have to be the authors of our own happiness this makes me happy. I've got to find something that makes me happy. Guess what? I'm enough. I'm good enough. Nobody deserves to be happier than me. I deserve rewards. I deserve everything because we all deserve the same things. Keep on exploring. Paul invites you to go on a huddle journey into mastering the hostage within and conquering self-sabotage. <laughs>